Hello everyone, I'm Laura Neal and this is Math for Knitters, again. <laughs> this will be show number 45 um, after a long break. And for those of you who were, and maybe, well, probably were, fans of my Math for Knitters Crafty Living show that I did with the Journal Gazette, I do not own the copyright to those files, so I cannot reissue them, and I don't think that they're being supported on their server any longer. So, sorry to say, those will have to exist only in our memories. <laughs> but I am restarting the show, and I'm very excited about talking to you. I have good plans, <laughs> um, and honestly, if I were starting the show over again today with a new name, I would probably have to come up with a new name because I'm not knitting all the time. I'm actually learning to sew, which I really enjoy. Um, but I am still knitting, and I am still teaching knitting, and I'm still very interested in knitting. And part of what motivated me to restart this show right now, rather than a year from now, or six months from now, or last year, is that since the publication of my book, I have been giving a talk called The History of Sock Knitting, or The History of Socks. And the last time I gave it, a very nice lady came up to me and said, is all of this wonderful information in your book? And I had to tell her no, because I did all of this research and pulled all of these things together after the book had come out. So I thought to myself, how can I share this with more people than are able and willing to see me in person? And I thought, well, a uh, podcast is a pretty good way to do that. <laughs> so basically, um, my subtitle for this is photos, uh, some photos and some history and a little speculation. Um, I am not a trained historian. Uh, I am an extremely curious person, and I did learn to write research papers when I was in college and high school. But uh, I basically want to start this with a disclaimer saying that I don't um, always have the best resources, but I, I am trying to be accurate, as accurate as I can. And I found some things that I think are really, really fascinating and fun. If there are trained historians out there and I say something incorrect, please tell me and I will revert to my newspaper life and issue a clarification or correction. <laughs> But basically, I've, I've read a lot, I've, I've looked a lot online, um, and I'm really excited to share some of the things I've found with you guys, because I, I think it's just so fascinating. And I am betting anybody who hit download on a podcast called Math for Knitters uh, is interested in the minutia of things, at least, at least a little bit. So my plan is, um, for every show, I am going to have um, a little tidbit uh, from history and then I'll just gab. So if you're interested in the tidbit, um, it's all going to be in one one part of the show. Uh, and if, if you don't want to hear me gabbing about my personal life or my knitting or my cats or whatever, uh, feel free to tune out <laughs> as soon as I'm done with the history bit. Um, right now my plan is to run the show every two weeks or so. Um, but, you know, life is life, so I may not be able to stick to that completely strictly but um, I will do what I can. As usual, all of the information uh, for the show and the photos, and really, uh, for this, you really do need to look at the images, I think, to get the full effect. Um, you need to go look at the show notes, uh, math 4 
www.blogspot.com. It's always the number four. So, yeah, let's get started. Um, this very first slide was actually drawn by my niece, who's extremely talented, Leslie, um, <laughs> because I didn't have a photo of this. There isn't always a good image to go with, with, with history, unfortunately. So, with knitters, you know, we, we do catch ourselves saying, if you have sticks and string, you can knit. But it turns out you also have to know how to knit. And this information is not in the distant past the way that weaving is. Uh, you have to have time to knit, and you also have to have the yarn and the needles to knit. Well, yarn's pretty easy to come by, at least at least as long as knitting's been around. Needles are another, another story. I won't get into more detail about that later. But uh, among all the textile arts, knitting is relatively young. Spinning in some form may be about as old as humans. Um, there's evidence that extremely pre-modern people uh, would just choose kind of a, a fibery uh, plant and twist it two or three times to make string, uh, to bind parcels and do other things that would make their lives easier. Um, and in the absence of that, there's always rawhide or leather um, components that are very, very easy for just about anybody who can create a cutting blade out of anything to, to use. So that, you know, that's been with us for basically forever. Weaving is also very ancient, not quite as old, but um, in 1993, a piece of cloth was found in Turkey that is estimated to be about 9,000 years old. So yeah, that's, that's pretty old. Uh, <laughs> knitting, on the other hand, is only about 1,000 years old. Um, but weirdly enough, we don't have a lot of written records about knitting until very, very recently. So we have to work off of the little scraps and bits of fabric that happen to be lying around. So the problem is in pre-modern life, um, or the solution if you think about it from a global, like nice to the earth perspective, is that every little bit of yarn was made on a drop spindle, and so you would definitely not just throw it away. <laughs> it's really hard to imagine in the level that we have today of relatively inexpensive consumer goods. But there was a time when every gram of everything was at least a little precious to someone. Uh, worn out and cast off things were simply used, reused, and repurposed until they just wore away to dust and ceased to exist. So we don't have a lot of stuff. So the stuff we do have is usually from very, very wealthy people, uh, from very, very important events from burials, uh, and also sometimes um, rather cutely uh, from dolls, although that, those are not the super early ones, but um, there are some later, later beautiful footwear and, and knitted things we have that were designed for dolls, and since dolls don't walk around a lot, their socks lasted quite well. Um, so if you think about things being used up, socks are kind of used up faster than a lot of things because we stand on them. Oops, sorry, I just got an email. I should have closed my not done this in a while. I've completely forgotten the protocol, sorry. Okay, um, so one of our very first um, things, <laughs> uh, or notes we have about socks and sock-like things, um, actually comes to me through a book called The History of Hosiery, um, which at the beginning says that around 80 BC, there was a cloth or leather simply wrapped around the leg uh, that was called fasciae, and I'm probably mispronouncing that, but I'll spell it in the show notes for those of you who know how to pronounce things in Latin. And they were warm, um, but they were kind of considered unmasculine uh, by the Romans. Uh, they, you know, they wore them 
they dealt with their things, but they were like, oh, those are really for ladies and, and old men. Um, but then a little bit later, um, <laughs> uh, uh, there, there comes something called the tibiale, which those of you who know about anatomy will recognize tibia being in there. Um, so I'm going to just quote directly from the book History of Hosiery. When Gaius Julius Caesar led his Roman legions in the conquest of Gaul, the thighs and legs of his foot soldiers were fully exposed, basically just in his little kilts. To protect themselves against the cold weather, they adopted, as part of their military costume, the tibiale, which were worn by the so-called barbaric Gauls. <laughs> so, once the conquest was over, the Gauls introduced the element of style and wore two or more colors on their legs, simply wrapping them around, making what we could consider to be the first patterned stockings. And their previous association with a lack of masculinity went away, I think just because they looked so fabulous. <laughs> so this first image uh, for our first show comes from my niece, who basically made a badge, uh, French footwear, shaping fashion since 50 BC, and uh, with her, her interpretation of what a Roman soldier might have looked like with his uh, wrappings on his feet. So, yeah, <laughs> it's very fun. I think it's fun. Anyway, uh, I like to imagine uh, that, you know, different climates definitely led people to, to dress differently. Although, from an anthropological standpoint, a lot of people say that the real reason most humans, or early humans, being way before the Romans, but the real reason most early humans wore clothes was, wasn't was for warmth or, or even for safety. It was more likely um, for ceremonial purposes and to look good. Uh, decoration, basically, is something that, that really goes way back uh, with, with part of being human. Uh, coding yourself as part of an in-group or an out-group, making yourself important, making yourself pretty, those are all things that are not limited to the modern world. And I think that is just so much fun to think about. <laughs> so, yeah, those are a little tidbit of history for today. Um, other than that, um, I did take up sewing uh, in July, so about, how long ago was that? Let's see, it's February now, so that would be about seven months ago. And I, I love it, it just, it just totally bit me. Like, on, I wasn't even planning on taking up a new hobby, and I just, I just took it up randomly, kind of, and I love it. I have an older machine, it's a Singer, it's about 50 years old, and it runs like a tank, which I love. It's a little loud, but that's okay. Um, and I am continually fascinated by how many things I think that I've learned from knitting that help me in my sewing. Um, there are techniques and things that you do when you're sewing that sometimes feel a little like you're stalling on the project. Um, pattern preparation, and um, I, you know, I'm kind of a busty gal, so I end up having to make alterations just about every pattern that I make, and I'm short, so then I have to make it petite. And that's, when I was thinking about starting to sew, I thought, you know, that might be kind of tedious, I might not like that part. Um, but it turns out that, that I do like it. I like the, I like the sense of building something um, by hand in a way that's going to give me a product that I like. And I know that it's going to take a little time 
but that doesn't bother me. And I, I'm pretty sure knitting taught me that because I don't think I would have learned that on my own just through my daily life and my and my work or any other part of my life. Like cooking, for example, I I don't enjoy chopping vegetables for my soup or whatever. Like I, it's, it's part of what I have to do to get it done. Um, but I have been known to purchase you know, garlic already made into a paste so I don't have to prep it that way and to save time. Um, I enjoy cooking and I enjoy eating, but I don't necessarily enjoy the prep. So it's a good thing. <laughs> you know, and actually weaving probably taught me a lot about that too because the actual weaving step is basically only half, maybe slightly less than half of the time that you spend on any given weaving project. You spend a lot more time uh, actually, you know, laying the warp and slaying the reed and preparing your loom than you do actually weaving. Oh, and preparing your shuttles than you do actually weaving. And sewing is kind of that way too. Um, the actual time that you spend at the sewing machine in many cases might be the shortest portion of your project. So, you know, before that you have to prep the pattern and lay it out and cut everything out and make sure you have enough fabric and and press and, and do all sorts of th things like that and so um, I'm very very grateful uh, <laughs> that I, I've developed the patience that I have through my other needle work arts uh, than, than from sewing and I'm also grateful that you know I live in an age where I don't have to sew I don't have to knit I don't have to weave I'm choosing to do these things for my own pleasure and I'm sure if I had had to do them, I probably wouldn't like it very much. <laughs> oh, who knows? I don't know. Maybe if I were, if I still managed to become a master of a craft in a pre-modern era, I, I probably would have been pretty, pretty happy about it because I, d I do like doing things well and, and carefully when I can. So, yeah. Although something that sewing has taught me about knitting that I never thought about is that, you know, books always talk about how great it is that knitting is so portable. And I didn't fully appreciate that until I started sewing. Because with sewing, you really need... Okay, it's much easier if you have a dedicated space where you can leave all your stuff lying around. Let's just say that. Um, and, you know, you, you have to be... At it. I mean, I imagine there are portable sewing machines, but they're not as portable as knitting needles. <laughs> That's for sure. I'm gonna, you know, I'm just gonna say, state that. I'm not gonna give that any, um, any softening. I'm just gonna say, yeah, sewing machines are not as portable as knitting needles. <laughs> so if nothing else, you need you need your tool, uh, your main tool. I mean, obviously you could hand sew things, and people did for a very very long time, um, but I I do find that tedious. <laughs> but maybe I'll change my mind about that too. Who knows? But. Anyway, I'm thrilled uh, to be talking with you again. I hope that you enjoy the show, and I'm certainly going to enjoy making it. So, yeah, I will talk to you later. Thanks. Bye-bye.